Right, guys, welcome back to 1 Samuel 17. Here we are, lesson 45, week 34. Man, can you believe this? Like you are halfway through the year, not halfway through the school. Don't worry. We've got a lot more to come. But you know, here's what I love is that I love that it's just, it keeps tying together. I mean, think about this. We were talking about the anointing yesterday, studying 1 Samuel 2. Hannah receives a word from the Lord. Your son's going to anoint the king. And then here you are in 1 Samuel 16. He actually then anoints uh, the king. It's incredible to see how this unfolds. And then you talk about Jesse of Bethlehem and all the, the implications that we haven't got to the study of, of Micah 5.2. But here you have the king coming from Bethlehem. And so Samuel knows as he's walking through. I mean, there's so many layers to this. The tribe of Judah, right, is the king of Israel is going to happen and come from the tribe of Judah. And all because of David's anointing. And David's anointing is where we're transferring now from. He's been anointed. He was in the, he's a, he's a shepherd. He's out in the pasture. And for all we know, you know, at this point, he is going back to his dad. And at times he's playing music for Saul. That's kind of the up in the air, taking care of sheep. Whenever an evil spirit is there, I'll come minister to Saul because Jubal is his favorite musician, the father of the liar. Here's the backdrop. Okay. Imagine you've been anointed. Okay. This is David. Now it's like, Hey, now when do I get to be the king? Like, hey, why do I have to keep going back out here? Like, that's the kind of mentality. You got to wait on a time to walk out uh, God's calling. Just because there's a season you sense that God is doing something in your life doesn't mean you have to make it happen. Doesn't mean you have to force it. And so you just wait and you ask the Lord to continue to refine you to be more like Him. And so it's all about, you ready for this? It's all about the timing. It's all about embracing the anointing in your timing. In fact, can you go to John 10, verse 10? I think John 10, okay, so it, it, part of this is us, the church. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I think the church for the longest time thinks, oh yeah, I've been anointed. Uh, I have life, but we never walk it out. We never have it in abundance. It's like we're okay with, you know, we're okay with the life part. At some point, in order to experience life and, and experience the abundance of life, you have to walk out the anointing. And that's what we're going to begin to see in 1 Samuel 17. David walks out the anointing. Now, can I just tell you, that anointing for David, the Holy Spirit came on David because Samuel anointed him for his kingship. And we know that that lineage points to the coming Messiah, as we, we're going to find out in 2 Samuel 7 down the road. But I want to just go New Testament for you for a second. The old, uh, and As we've seen clearly in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God can come and go. Is that right? But in the New Testament, the Spirit of God never leaves us. In fact, can you go to 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22? So I want to make sure everybody understands how we're going to tie in all of this, okay? 2 Corinthians 1, 21 says, Now it is God who strengthens us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He has also sealed us. You know what that means? Spirit ain't going anywhere. And has given us a spirit as a down payment in our hearts. So when I talk about the anointing that David is in referencing, I want you to understand we can never lose the Holy Spirit in this process. But I think it's important to understand 
in order to understand the abundance of life, you've got to understand you've been anointed. And I feel like the church is okay with status quo of that we've been given life. And I want to say, no, no, no. He wants to give you more. In 2 Samuel 17, and in fact, the first 16 verses, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see a process. And the enemy, I'll unfold this. You're going to see as you walk out the anointing, the, the enemy is mocking us, okay? All right, the Philistines, they gathered their forces for war at Soka and Judah and camped between Soka and Azekah and Ephes Damin. Okay, let's keep going here in verse 2. Saul and the men of Israel, they gathered and they camped in the valley of Allah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. Okay, so here you have, look how close the sides are. Okay, go to the other one if you don't mind. I mean, look, here you are on this side, even if it's not the narrow. Look, look, you can just see very closely the other side. I think when we think about this big battle, I used to always think like, oh, yeah, like it's really far apart. Man, when they lined up, they could actually see faces, I actually think. They could see their opponents. And in fact, here you have, it's kind of even shaved. You'll see that the Valley of Allah, it's an S-shaped valley. Uh, it's the south of Sorek Valley, okay, which was Samson. Samson was Sork Valley, runs east and west to it, and Gath is seven miles. That's the closest Philistine town, which we know is, what we're going to find out is, is Goliath's town. In verse 3, it says, The Philistines were standing on one hill, and the Israelites were standing on another, in, on another hill with a ravine between them. Now, that's not the case right now. Now you have just a road. In fact, when I went in 2004, it was a bunch of sunflowers. Okay, so everything's changing based on the crops. And it says this, Then a champion named Goliath from Gath, he came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Like, this is a tall dude. And in verse 15, he wore a bronze helmet and a bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor on his shins and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. And his spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. And the iron point of the spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. Why does he even need a shield bearer? I just think, like, hey, remember Jonathan in the armor bearer? You know, remember my little picture? I'm not even drawing uh, Goliath because he won't even fit on my picture here. In verse 8, it says, he stood, and this is what he did. He shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and you have him come down against me. In other words, why are we here? Like, are you not going to fight? Choose somebody so that they can come against me. In verse 9, if he wins in a fight against me and he kills me, we will be your servants. Well, I think it's interesting because it won't be him. He'll be dead. So my people, his people around him will be his servants, but he'll be dead. But if I win against him and I kill him, then you will be our servants and you will serve us. Then the Philistine says, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. The enemy is going to constantly, as you'll see in verses 1 through 16, he's going to pick apart at you. He's going to constantly keep throwing you lies. He's going to keep feeding you things like, hey, why aren't you doing this? Hey, why aren't you doing this? And so you keep hearing these voices constantly. It's exactly what's happening in real time with the Philistine and the Israelite and the Israel army. It says in verse 11, when Saul and all of Israel, they heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and they were terrified. You want to know why I think sometimes we, we don't experience the abundance of life? When we're just okay with just having life, I think it's because of the enemy. I think the enemy creates in us, and in fact, 
Here's a little sub point for us. When we buy into the enemy's lies, we don't engage in the battle. Hey, I, I want you to go share the gospel. No way. You kidding me? Look at that person. <laughs> I'm not sharing the gospel with that person. What if that person thinks differently of me? Oh, you want me to pray for my employer? No, no, no. What if I get fired? The enemy, what happens is that when we buy into these lies that we're not qualified or that something bad's going to happen, we never engage the battle, which is why I think we're okay with just, I'm existing, I have life, but we never experience to the abundance. The enemy is constantly going to be mocking us so that we don't engage in the battle. Now, in verse 12, it says, David was the son of Epathathite from Bethlehem, right, of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, Okay. So he had the seven sons and the one that was out in the, in the sheepfold. And during Saul's reign, Jesse was already an old man. Scripture says, now Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. Their names were Eliab, the firstborn, Abinadab, and Shammah. Those are the three guys that were what? What happened to them in First Samuel? Or in Samuel? They didn't get anointed. They actually got rejected. <laughs> and so these three are actually going to battle with, with Saul. I use that term loosely, by the way, battle. In verse 14, and David was the youngest, the three oldest had followed Saul. But David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's flock in Bethlehem. Now watch this. So David's going back and forth from Saul to taking care of his flock. In verse 16, the, I want to just say this. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. So you know what you see here? The enemy's lies can be relentless. So you buy into these lies so that you don't engage the battle. And just in case you're thinking about it, he's going to keep hammering you. The enemy's going to keep saying, look at this. It says, morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and he took a stand. When is somebody going to come and fight me? When are you going to actually get some courage and do something about this? You guys, we got to stop staring at the enemy and listening to his lies. You got to break the mold. You got to be a Jonathan and leave. Go over to the Philistines. You got to use your feet and, and not just simply sit down on a Sunday morning. That's where the enemy wants you. He's okay with you staring at him saying, oh, look, they're worshiping God, but they're never in the battle. That's what's happening to the Israelites over and over. For how many days did the enemy mock them? 40. 40, 40 days. But if there's one thing I can encourage all of us, the church, the body of Christ, you guys, you got to understand something. We're on the front lines. Like, that's where we're at. Like, we have a front row seat right now to do something actually about the battle. And it says in verse 17, One day Jesse had told his son David, Take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these ten loaves of bread. Where's he coming from? Bethlehem. The house of bread, maybe the city, the center of grain. You bring grain, you bring loaves of bread. Take it to your brothers and hurry to their camp. In verse 18, also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field commander. Check on the welfare of their brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all of the men of Israel. Don't, don't, don't miss this, you guys. Can you go back to that picture for me, Clayton? All, they are all with Saul, the three brothers, and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah. And look what it says they're doing. Fighting with the Philistines. Somebody define fighting for me normally. Punching sword. It be hand-to-hand combat. Hand-to-hand combat, punching swords, stabbing, jabbing, hacking. Can I, can I just tell you this? Sometimes, man, we think we're fighting, but we're not. I think it's a true statement. If we're not careful, 
The church thinks they're engaged in a major spiritual battle, but they, they don't do anything about it. The reason that we talk about revival so much is that we want the body of Christ to realize God wants to take you from the life and give you an abundant life. And sometimes in, in experience the abundance life, you have to actually walk out your calling, not just sit on your calling. And sometimes we think, oh yeah, we're going to change this city of Dallas. God bless Elkhart. We're going to see a move of God. Yes, Lord, rend the heavens into Los Angeles. The reality is you're just staring at the person. You're not even thinking about actually fighting or going out on the streets. But yet we have a front row uh, seat, an opportunity to get up and actually do something. And in fact, that's all I want to just say is that we have to move. Ready for this? From the front lines into what? The battle. That would be my prayer. You know, there's a statistic that the Baptist came out with a couple years ago. So it could have changed this last year, but 1% of the American church, 1% of the American church is actually growing because of new conversion. What that says to me is we're not going out into the camp. We're not leaving the camp going into the battle. We're not willingly uh, wanting to engage our community. We're okay if people just say, hey, I'm going I'm to make a better production. I'm going to have more lights. And we think that because we do all of this, that maybe somebody will come in and sit down. It's not our desire. Our desire is to use this as an equipping to say, guys, this is not the place. It's out there. And so the enemy is constantly mocking us. We're on the front lines. Now we just have to actually engage and step over the line. And so here's what I want to do next. I want to just walk you through. And now I want you to understand you got to be prepared for the battle. Let me just back up one more time. It goes to this saying of we, we pray for a revival. We just want it to come through somebody else. Like this is what we're talking about. It's time to be the Davids, not the brothers. So it says in verse 20, David got up early in the morning, let the, left the flock with somebody to keep it. I love that, by the way. Just because you pursue revival, just because you want to see a move of God, just because you want to see transformation, doesn't mean that you leave things in, in chaos and disorder. David actually shepherded and took care of what he was given in order to, to experience more. When you're a good steward of that, he says, oh, now I can give you more. He loaded up, set out as Jesse had instructed him. Remember, he brought all these things. He arrived at the perimeter, remember the bread and the cheese. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle, form battle formation, shouting their battle cry. I just want to say this, in order to, to, to cross over, you know what I love about David? David could come to the table because he was prepared. He knew his flock was taken care of. Isn't that true? He could actually engage in the battle because everything else behind him was in order. His house, you ready for this, was in order so he could run to the battle line. David left his supplies in the care of the quartermaster and he ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. <laughs> and then it says this, when all the Israelites... <laughs> When he was speaking with them in verse 25, 23, right? Uh, suddenly the champion Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, he came from the Philistine battle line and he shouted his usual words, which David heard, maybe, maybe for the first time. Oh, hey, who's that guy? <laughs> and when all, the, when all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him because he was, he was terrified. And then in verse 25, previously an Israelite man had declared, hey, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The, the king will make the man who kills him very rich and He'll give him his daughter. The king will also make the household of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. In other words, 
if you go kill that guy, you're going to get married and no taxes. So can I just tell you this? You, you, some of you could disagree. I actually think when you go out and fight in the battle, there's a reward. And in fact, there's rewards for what we do. Kevin, can you go to Matthew 5, verse 10? Matthew 5, verse 10 says this. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11. You are blessed when they insult you, persecute you, and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Verse 12 says, Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in Matthew 6, verse 20, talks about this reward, that when you engage in the battle, your reward will be great in heaven. You will have an eternal reward. And I love this, but Matthew 6, 20 says, But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, that means there's going to be rewards in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. In other words, don't worry about saving up right here in this context, folks. We need to be saving up and getting ready for the treasures in heaven, the rewards, only if you engage in the battle. So verse 26, David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills that Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know what that says to me? He believes that God is actually the focus. He actually believes that there's somebody questioning God moving in the Israelites' community. And then the people told him, look in verse 27, about the offer, concluding, hey, by the way, you could get a wife, you can get some taxes, and this is what will be done for the man who kills him. But strangely enough, as you begin to be prepared for the battle, as you say, oh, I'm getting ready to go into the battle, as you say, hey, I'm leaving here to go on a mission trip, or, hey, I'm getting ready to, to maybe go into school. You should actually expect, and I'm running out of room here, you should be, be prepared for, for opposition from within. Eliab, the oldest brother, he listened as he, as he spoke to the man and became angry with David. Why do you come down here? Who do you leave these, those few sheep with in the wilderness? So he's trying to question his integrity and his skill. I know. I, who, who do you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? In other words, pfft, Little shepherd boy in your four sheep. I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down to see the battle. Sometimes I wonder if this is the mentality of, of an older brother who knows he's getting ready to experience uh, the anointing. He's going to experience David walking out the anointing. Dang it, David's here. I saw my brother get anointed. This is it. And as an older brother, I haven't done anything. I've just stared I'm trying to be prepared for the battle, but the reality is I'm buying into the enemy's lies. And now I see my younger brother and he's getting ready to come and experience his calling. See, Eliab is stuck on the life mentality. David wants the abundance of life. The American church, I'm not saying that life is bad because God wants to give us life. I'm just telling you there's more to it. He wants us to experience the fullness of of God. Think about Jesus, you guys. Remember, David as the anointed one, I believe is a foreshadow, a precursor of the coming Messiah. Think about Jesus. Was he, was he not constantly, constantly being challenged? As he walks into his anointing, he's accused of, of blasphemy. You know, at sometimes he said he was in a league with the devil. Other times he was accused of breaking the law and other times they just wanted to destroy him over and over again. This is just a small little example of what's coming for Christ. 
Verse 29, this is classic. David says, what have I done now? It's just a question. Who gets the reward and what do they get? Then he turned from those beside to him, beside him to others, okay? In front of him and he asked about the offer and the people gave him the same answer as before. I don't know, David is really intrigued by this reward. <laughs> hey, what happens if I get this reward? What do I get? I love what Warren Wiersbe says, when you step out by faith to fight the enemy, there's always somebody around to discourage you. Okay, in order to experience the abundance of life, right, that, that he wants for us, okay? I just, I, you have to understand this. You are qualified. You're qualified already. It's a done deal. Like, because we read, remember in 2 Corinthians, you have the anointing in you. You have Christ in you. Because of that, you're already qualified to engage the battle. You don't have to have more revived school. You don't have to have more theological training. You don't have to have more Sunday school classes. You don't have to actually get ordained or licensed. You're, you're anointed. And I feel like we're always waiting to say, I got to do something else in order to get to this point. Yeah, God refines us in this process. But don't bank that and say, well... You know, I haven't done this yet. I don't have these experiences. The scripture says, no, man, you're qualified. In verse 31, so when David, uh, what David said was uh, already overheard and reported to Saul, so he had David brought to him. David said to Saul, don't let any, you know, remember, they know each other, you guys, right? He's been playing the liar or the lure. What'd you call it? Lear. <laughs> you know, David said to Saul, don't let anybody be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Oh, little musician boy. I can't believe you're even saying this. I mean, that would be the thought process behind Saul, right? Like, wait, what? But Saul replied, you can't fight this Philistine. You're just a youth and he's been a warrior since, since he was young. And David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep whenever a lion or a bear, oh my, came and carried off a lamb from the flock. Verse 35, I went after it, I struck it down and I rescued the lamb from its mouth. If I reared, if it reared up against me, I'd grab it by its fur. I'd strike it down and I'd kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This is this uncircumcised Philistine. That'll be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. In other words, he is against my God. Nobody does that. For once, somebody wants to do something and change the culture and change the environment. He wants to cross over the Valley of Allah. He's tired of status quo. He's tired of just this life. He wants more. And I think that's what I love about David. He understands he is qualified. Look at all these experiences. He says yes to this. In verse 38, here's what happens. Then Saul had his military clothes. He put him, he put him on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and, and had him put on armor. <laughs> and David strapped a sword on over the military clothes and he tried to walk, but he wasn't used to them. I can't walk in these things, he said. I'm not used to these. So he, he just took them off. And here's what I love is in order to understand you're qualified, here's what you don't need. You don't need... Fancy weapons. But yet, crazy enough, Warren Wiersbe says, Saul didn't have the faith to believe God could do something new. So he gave David the old-fashioned, the time-honored uh, method of warfare. He gave him his full armor. And David, here he is, possibly as a 17-year-old, five years maybe after the original anointing, he's getting ready to walk into it. What I would say is first true battle, but he's been fighting for a while with the animals. 
It says in verse 40, he took his staff, David took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the wadi. One, two, three, four, five. He took these stones. He says he put them in the pouch in a shepherd's bag because that's all he had. Because he was already qualified and equipped. And then with his sling in his hand, okay, it says he approached the Philistine. You know, I'm going to state the obvious here. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's a time for a new wineskin. It's time for a new wineskin in order to fight the battle. No longer what we're doing in the American church. It's not changing culture. So here's my proposal is that every church would just pray through God. What's one little dynamic, one little area that we can tweak and, and, and change in order to see if maybe that would, that would do something radically different. And I, I love that God's using the local church to change lives. But you guys, corporately, we want to see a move of God in this nation. And so all of us, just enough to change the, the, the armor that we've been wearing. Let's change it so that it feels right, so that we can really engage and walk out our anointing. In verse 41, it says this, the Philistine, he came closer. Remember, David is approaching him. And here's what you're going to have in our fifth and final point is that you are qualified to what? To finally engage in the battle. Philistine came closer and uh, closer and closer with the shield bear in front of him, just in case. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And then he cursed David by his Little G gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a dagger, spear, and a sword, but I come against you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him. You want to talk about a man with a backbone. It's a man who has confidence in who God is. Not in himself, but in a confidence that what? The Lord, here it is, and this is going to sound like Jonathan as well. The Lord will give the victory. He doesn't mess around. And he says this in verse 46, Today the Lord is going to hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know, and here's the purpose of walking out your anointing, that Israel has a God, that God is in charge. It's not for David's glory, it's for God's glory. In verse 47, this whole assembly will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Hey, Philistine, nine foot nine guy, he's going to hand you over to us. Verse 48, when the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. He's no longer sitting here shouting out, marching, I'm in the battle. He's in the battle. Here he goes, it says in verse 49, David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, hit the Philistine on his forehead and the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And David, it says in verse 50, defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. In verse 51, David ran and he stood over him, grabbed the Philistine's sword, the monster sword, pulled it from its sheath and he used the enemy's own weapon and he used it to kill him. He cut off the head, and when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, guess what happened? They ran. And here, I, I, I don't want to miss this. In verse 53, okay, I just want to jump ahead here real quick. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, okay, they had just run out. And they, when they returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. Can I just tell you this? The Israelites that were staring at the Valley of Elah, 
were experiencing normal life that necessarily was just staring at the enemy. They were just staring at the enemy. But when David came and walked out his anointing, guess what? He got to experience an abundance of life. And in 1 John 2, verse 20 and 27, in 1 John 2, verse 20, I want you to understand something. This anointing that we've all received, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you have knowledge in verse 27. Look at this. In verse 27, it says this. The anointing that you've received from Him remains in you. And you don't need anybody to teach you. Instead, His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as He has taught you, remain in Him. When we walk out this Holy Spirit anointing that we've been given, I promise you, Just like the Israelites, we can experience an abundance, a fullness of God that He wants for each one, for you and for me. The question is, is, do you want to be the brothers? Do you want to be the the soldiers that are staring? Or do you want to be the David that's walking out the calling? Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. 